Blog Talk Radio. to the Eastern Airlines Radio Show's Thursday broadcast of the REPA Radio Hour, brought to you by the Eastern Airlines Radio Show and the Retired Eastern Pilots Association. We share the stories and memories of the pilots who flew the planes of Pitt Karen Aviation, Eastern Air Transport, and Eastern Airlines. My name is Neil Holland, retired Eastern captain and producer of the show, We hope you'll enjoy the stories we bring to you every Thursday at this time. And you will join in the conversation during the broadcast. Now, let's get the show in the air. REPA 32, you're clear to start engines. Roger, REPA 33, we're starting number one, clear prop. Reba 33, you're cleared for takeoff. Roger, Reba 33. We're on the roll and requesting a straight out departure. That's approved, Reba 33. America's favorite way to fly, we thank you. 
If you haven't flown Eastern recently, give us a try. We'll show you we really do earn our wings every day. you just heard starting up, or simply stated, <clears throat> excuse me, from the male wings to the huge Lockheed L-1011 Triscar, a.k.a. the Whisper Liner. You know, Eastern was the first to fly this three-engine, Rolls-Royce-powered, wide-bodied aircraft. As we like to tell our first-time listeners, you can listen in with your smartphone or go to our radio show provider at www blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and just click on the start arrow. Remember, it must be at 3 p.m. or you will be given the message that the show has not begun. Better yet, why not listen as many do? Just call into the show at 213-816-1611. This will put you on the producer's board, and all you have to do to share your comments or join in the discussion is to touch the number one on your smartphone's keyboard. That will tell the producer to unmute your phone's microphone. Then just join in the fun. As we mentioned in previous Reaper Radio Hour shows, we have added a new announcement to our Reaper Radio Hour broadcast. When we become aware of our Eastern pilots and or their spouses' passage to the West on their final flight, when we are given these names of our deceased Eastern pilots, we will pay honor to these men and women who once flew the skies of this great airline. Captain Neal, do we have any names of people that have passed away that we can honor this past week? No, Don, there are none this week, thank goodness. And uh, I think it's been a couple of three weeks now, and that's good. That's the way we want to we want to have uh, a little silence here and and um, not have too many of our dearly beloved to, to pass uh, to pass away. But uh, we're happy to uh, provide this service uh, on the radio show. And back to you, Don. Oh yes, thanks, Captain. Uh, yes, you know, no no notice is good news. <clears throat> we will make available this time on the radio show whenever we have an announcement. Now, let's head up to Long Island, New York, where Captain Mike Scott is at the controls. Mike? Okay, thank you, Don. <clears throat> Excuse me, as we do every Thursday on Reaper Radio Hour, we bring you stories as written and told to the editors of the Retired Eastern Pilots Association magazine, Reaper T. Throughout Reaper's nearly 50 years, it's these stories told by the men and women of Eastern that have made the magazine tops among the airline retirees associations and newsletters and magazines. Today we're going to go back to the pages of another very important newsletter. It'll take you back about 90 years. This newsletter simply called Newswing, was the official newsletter of Pitcairn Aviation 
that became Eastern Air Transport, predecessors of Eastern Airlines. Harry, what great story of early aviation are we about to hear? Well, Captain Mike, our producer found many comments by passengers taking that first flight in an airplane and who were very complimentary about the services offered by Eastern back then. I might add it was very much like people what people said about the Eastern we worked for. Let's hear some comments dating back 90 years ago. Mr. Producer, what do you got? Here's a letter from November 1930, a passenger's letter. An interesting letter and photograph taken from the window of our plane has been received from C.M. Coleman, garage owner of Mattituck, New York. Mr. Coleman, who deals in Hudson and Essex cars, wrote as follows. I recently had the pleasure of making a trip in one of your planes to Richmond, Virginia. I want to take the opportunity to say that the trip was most enjoyable, and I found those in charge of the plane to be courteous and obliging. Considering the time saved on this trip and the comfort of your planes, I can thoroughly recommend this method of travel. I secured some snapshots along the way, which I consider very good, and am taking the liberty of sending you one of those which I took over Washington, D.C. The photograph, it discloses the view obtained of the Washington Monument from the window of our planes. The shadow of the monument is pointing directly toward the White House, and other official federal buildings are to be seen. Okay, Mike. That's okay. it. All right. Yeah. Now we have uh, how many? How many of us remember the Hudson and the Ex uh, Essex automobiles? Question mark on that one. I remember the Hudson, but can't say that I've ever seen or, or had the pleasure of riding or seeing an Essex. I googled it, and the and the uh, sporty has a sporty look. Has a boat tail convertible. Looks like it could meet, could make a comeback. And I believe they called it the uh, in the later years in 1934 the Exus Terraplane. And I think it was in the early days also. I think the Essex was called the uh, the Super Six. Yeah, Mike. And uh, I looked it up. It's a pretty car, a very very handsome car. And I saw that convertible. I really like that. Uh, I remember the, 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 the Hudson, and uh, right after World War II, my Uncle Bruce, who was my favorite uncle, uh, was a hero of World War II, in my, in my uh, uh, opinion. He received some wounds, received a Purple Heart, and uh, when he got out of the service, he took some of his military pay, and he bought a brand spanking new Hudson Hornet, and that was in 1945, and and I remember he took me on a ride from Goldsboro, North Carolina, over to Rosewood, where he lived. And uh, uh, my dad lived in, in uh, Goldsboro, and it's about a five-mile ride. And he said he opened it up, and he said, now I'm going to go 100 miles an hour. And he, he told me the speed. I'll never forget that, and that's the first time I've ever been 100 miles an hour. And um, I'll never forget that experience. And I was only nine years old at the time. And I remember some of the marketing features. Uh, and it, I remember it had in the little catalog, it had a step down to get into the car. You step down into the Hudson Hornet. 
and you could recline the passenger seat to a nearly sleeping position. And uh, his had that distinctive sun visor across the top windshield. And then he had fender skirts, of course. Most cars back in those days had those fender skirts and white wall tires. And it was a beautiful design. And it was looked like, if you look at it on images on, on uh, Google, it looked like speed, streamlined. Very pretty car. Yeah. How about you guys? What do you remember that one, Mike and Harry? Well, I don't. Uh, I don't remember too much about it. I, I vaguely remember them from back in the uh, when I started to drive in '57. Uh, see them around somewhere along the line. I have a, uh, which is still out in my living room. I have a. I have a hood emblem off of a Hudson Horn. <laughs> oh my golly! <laughs> now where I where I obtained that, I'm not sure, but I decided to hang on to it because I knew it was a collector's <laughs> item. <laughs> yeah, that and the Packard. Packard with the, the guy holding the, the tire. It looked like a tire. He was out there. Yeah, yeah. Don, do you remember that? <laughs> yes, I do. I had an uncle that had one of those up in yeah. uh, Rhode Island, out there in yeah. the country. And uh, uh, we used to go on Sundays, and he'd pick uh, my sister and I up, and we'd go get ice cream. <laughs> that was a big treat for us in the country. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We were real little. <clears throat> Well, here's another one that we found in the news link uh, called Transport Topics. Uh, Mr. Producer, can you tell us about this uh, some 90 years ago? Yep, 90 years ago, October of 1930. Here we go. Now, here are some notes that were called transport topics in the news wing of Eastern Air Transport newsletter. Miss Lula Elion, secretary to Mr. Kerr, came to New York on her recent vacation using automobile, train, and air for the trip. She returned to Jacksonville by steamship, thus rounding out the transportation picture. On her trip back, she reports, the steamship's passengers evinced great interest in her flight and declared they, too, were going to fly with Eastern Air Transport. Now that our transports will be operating all the way from New York to Florida, they won't have to come to Richmond to climb aboard. Another note is Pilot Andre zoomed back to work after his vacation. Pilot Schaefer lightened himself by having his tonsils removed and then moved over the passenger lines as co-pilot until he got his Trimotor rating, as they were called back then. He's back on his regular mail flight, now temporarily. And good news, old friend J.B. J. Ben Faulkner is with us again. He's in Detroit just now with a new Ford Trimotor that's going to be seen stepping along our passenger line. Mr. Dolan made a flying trip to the general offices and back to Atlanta. Mr. Elliott, Pete Parker, Lee, and Miss Washburn flew up to Springfield, Massachusetts on company business. Pete Jones from Logan Field was in the office for a couple of days. McDonald is back at Camden after his vacation. Another note reads, Mr. Kerr's mother died recently at her home in Denmark. We offer our sincere condolence to him. Farley, in the general offices, lost his father recently, and our deepest regrets 
are also offered to him. Farley attended the funeral in Richmond. Another note reads, Coleman reports that Spartanburg has smoothed out its airport's runways, put on new topsoil, placed yellow cones on its boundary lights, and installed a new wind indicator. Alverson and Delk are nicely settled down now after having been transferred from Atlanta to Spartanburg. And Fred's flower shop has informed Coleman that the night airmail is getting its orders to cut flower supplies through in quicker time at less cost than before. Orders fly out by airmail and the flowers roll back in a refrigerator car. And finally, uh, on the transport topics of this month, uh, October 1930, Harris E. Kirk, Jr., has been appointed our passenger representative in Baltimore and has secured the cooperation of the Baltimore Trust Company's Travel Bureau as agents. The Trust Company is well equipped to handle details for all forms of travel by air, rail, and water. Harry? Can you believe a round trip from Jacksonville to New York utilizing all forms of transportation? I wonder if the Greyhound bus line existed back then. I did not hear that form of travel mentioned. Yeah, that, that was a lot of traveling. Um, I think the Greyhound has always been around, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I guess it has yeah, from the time. wolf. <laughs> Mike, what you got? You know, on that last, uh, on the last, on the Hudson Hornet, when uh, when you were uh, t- uh, giving the uh, talking about that, I, I went into the living room and picked it up, and I was wrong. I didn't have a Hudson Hornet emblem. I had a Hus- Hudson Wasp yeah. emblem. Yeah. Does anybody remember the Wasp? It's like a, no. you know, look, no. it looks it's a round emblem with uh, like a waffle with uh, 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 purple with an H in the middle, and it says Wasp in the middle of the H. But anyway, do you have any more of those transport uh, uh, topic notes? Kind of interesting what was being talked about on the Eastern Air Transport System back uh, 90 years ago. Well, here's one from the next month's issue, November 1930. Now, we're talking about 30 years ago. You're hearing uh, people talk about the company and also about flying. So let's listen to this one. More transport topics from the November 1930 newsletter. Pilot Talaferro's first name is Champ, and that means something. Recently, he took off from Logan Field, Baltimore, formed an alliance with a tailwind of unusual velocity, and roared down the home stretch to Washington, covering the 38 miles in nine minutes flat. Next time you'll call him Champ, we won't know if that's his first name or a contraction of champion. Another note, the Washington Sunday Star, which carried one of the best aviation pages in the country, has discontinued it. Our friend Joe Edgerton continues as aviation editor. We understand and will keep up his and will keep up his good work in the news sections and his daily column. But our boys, who all the way from uh, New York to Miami, followed Joe's Sunday page page as closely as possible. 
and we will miss it. Another note, Dr. Ralph N. Green of Jacksonville, a member of our advisory council, has been named Senior Vice President of the Aero Medical Association of America. The organization is composed of medical examiners for the military and naval services and civil aviation license applicants. Here's another one. Old Man Weather Did Wrong by Dick Merrill this month. Coming up from the south with the mail, Dick landed at Charlotte, then took off for Greensboro. The weather had been none too good, and now it became chronic. It was the blackest kind of a night, and with fog making it utterly impossible to land. Dick cruised until his fuel supply ran out, then took to his parachute. The mail was undamaged. Dick suffered only a slight foot injury. Another note, Mr. Dolan and Gray flew up from Atlanta, stopping at each field en route and spent a few days in the general office. There's going to be a lot of changes pretty soon all along, all along the line, for the passenger services about to begin will call for a pretty general rearrangement. Here's another. We hear from Richmond that pilot Branson's pet pup was introduced recently to Dick Merrill's lioness and has decided that women are fickle. For the first time, the lioness did was utter, for the first thing the lioness did was utter a blood-curdling roar and take a murderous swing at Murphy. The pup moved as quickly as possible, but that wasn't quickly enough. He lost some fur and confidence and apparently was determined he will pay no more respects to the Queen of Beasts. <laughs> yeah, Dick Merrill had lions, and uh, he had yeah. a bunch of mascots that he flew around. <laughs> That's interesting. Neil, did you ever get his story about the bailing out of that plane? Yeah, uh, we got another one coming up. I think it's mentioned in there. Uh, it was either uh, Dick Merrill, but uh, he he joined the Caterpillar Club. You know, I think it was kind of routine. Those guys, when they couldn't, when when they when the airports were sacked in, and I mean fogged in, they um, they, they they kept flying as long as they could. I, I don't know. They didn't have the rules that we have today, of course, where you have to carry enough fuel to get to your alternate. But in most cases, flying uh, at those speeds, the alternate couldn't be very far away either. And likely it was fogged in. So a lot of guys got out of the airplane and and, uh, found the mail later. Uh, Johnny Keitel was... uh, He put put one on top of Stone Mountain. Do you remember that one? Yep. Yeah, he landed on top uh, of Stone Mountain. (laughs) Yeah. Like in the, in the movie Spirit of St. Louis with uh, Lindbergh, I forgot exactly where he was landing, but he was heading to Chicago, and they, they had the green light and the red light, and he come in there and all that fog and whatever yeah. the, the hand was that was out there. He says, uh, "What do you need, Slim?" The guy says, "Just throw a bucket. Of, get me a bucket of gas." <laughs> he says, "Throw it in there." <laughs> he ran out yeah. anyway. 
Well, that's where that's where we got the the word caterpillar, and we'll I think that's in another one that we're going to bring up here in a few minutes. The caterpillar yeah. club. When you jump out, uh, Hassan Callaway was uh, got into the caterpillar club because his his airplane was on fire. Do you remember that when we did the yeah. Hassan Callaway stories? <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, okay, go ahead, uh, Mike. Continue yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, yes, and there was notes from the passenger sent into the company that the editor of Newswing printed in the in the newsletters. Can we hear some of what they had to say in the, when they flew back in the Curtis uh, Kingbirds back 90 years ago? Yeah, let's see if I can find that one. Here it is. I believe this. The following appeared in the Eastern Air Transport Newswing, September 30th, 1930. 90 years ago. Passenger Notes Washington, in addition to being the political nerve center of a mighty nation, is one of the most beautiful of cities when seen from the air. Its glistening white marble is perfectly set in deep green. Our passenger planes, in flying to Washington, pass directly over the city, about halfway between the Capitol building and the White House. Both of them are seen in all their marvelous detail, and in addition, the towering column of a granite that is the memorial to George Washington and the marble creation to another great president, Abraham Lincoln, are fully in view. Passengers often wonder just how limited their activities are while flying, especially on their first long flight. Often they hesitate to move to another seat or to walk back to the rear of the plane, to the lavatory and water cooler. While the plane is flying, there is no reason why they should not move about as they choose, and they are perfectly at liberty to walk to the rear of the plane or to move to a vacant seat if they desire. The only rule governing this is that they are required to remain seated while the plane is taking off or landing. Another important rule is that they throw nothing whatever from the plane. Women from a considerable percentage of the travelers form a considerable percentage of the travelers on Eastern Air Transport passenger line, often as much as half of a capacity load being of that sex. On several occasions, Advantage has been taken of the company at rule that children three years of age or under will be carried free if in, if in arms. Two different women carried three-year-olds in their arms on one flight from New York. A man rushing from Florida to New York to be with his ill-mothered mother telegraphed from the train to Richmond making a reservation on our plane. A taxi cab brought him from the Richmond station to the flying field, and less than four hours later, he was landed in New York, hours ahead of the time he would have been there otherwise. We are pleased to have assisted him in his urgent journey. In the Patapsco River near Logan Field, Baltimore, stands Fort Carroll, which was built by Robert E. Lee while he was a lieutenant of engineers from the United States Army prior to the Civil War. This old fort, which is readily visible to passengers before landing or after taking off from this airport, also is the approximate position held by the British warship 
on which Francis Scott Key was a prisoner during the bombardment of Fort McHenry, a few miles up the river. When the rocket's red glare and bombs bursting in air inspired Key to write the Star-Spangled Banner. The air transport industry should have no trouble getting passengers for, as a contemporary observers, observes, in days of yore, if a man misses a stagecoach, he was consent, content to wait a week or so for the next one. Now he squawks loudly if he misses one section of a revolving door. <laughs> Uh, a little bit of humor in the editor there. <laughs> yep. But uh, all right, Harry, what you got? Well, uh, looks like our producer found a collection of the editor's notes about what was happening back in August of 1930. Interesting how the editor used articles, even though short, that included people, names, activities of employees, events that the readers could see their names in print and what was happening around the system. Let's hear the style used in the news wing back in 1930. Mr. Producer? It's called Around the System. Here is a potpourri of transport topics in the August issue, 1930, about 90 years ago. Running way behind schedule with this news wing. Phew, plenty of work. We'll try to catch up. Reports from Daytona Beach that George Cushing, Cushing made 18 holes in one, but not at golf. 18 holes in one alligator. Now, field manager Banks tried to give it to him. George doesn't like alligators. Bang, bang. Tal Faulkner and crowd went fishing. Caught one weighing 605 pounds. Seven feet, six inches long. Must be true. We saw a photo. Elliot, Westing, Whitmore, Harper, Tom Armstrong, Jones also went fishing. Uh, on a fish diet for a week? Otley and Andrew flew to Knoxville for opening there of their airport. Thomas worked harder while Andre was away. Pilot can on vacation, checked out of Miami in New Fliver. Everything on it but the kitchen sink, or the kitchen stove. Others on vacation are Banks, Cross, Whitmore, Pete, Jones, Stone, Schaefer, Scully, Johnson of Brooklyn office, Hendrickson, Coleman, Armstrong of the Brooklyn office, and he's getting married. Details later. Eddie Ballou flying in a bathing suit for convenience, not for comfort, out of the water at beginning of flight, right back in when trip is over. Same good old friend McCulloch visits Atlanta from Cuba. He flew out in Ford Trimotor. Kerr is on a regular monthly tour of Southern Division. All is well. Made night flying over Miami for city celebration. His secretary, Miss Elaine, reports Blankets being used in Jacksonville during a hot spell everywhere else. Hank moves from Miami to Atlanta. Cross sent a gator from Miami to fly on a first passenger plane. Gene Brown is at it again. Sighted house on fire this month in Thomasville, North Carolina. 
down at it with the motor wide open. Roar, roar, roar. Out came the people. Gene then went on to Richmond. Johnny Keitel made radio talk, took some pointers on broadcasting from his youngster. Eastern Air Transport has flown distance equal to 100 times around the world. Charlotte's assistant postmaster, W.B. Bradford, flies to Albemarle to make a talk. Wheat is pilot. Lowell Harding to main office twice. Mr. Westing to Greenville for opening of service. Then to Chicago for opening of races. Dick Merrill has a new mascot. This time, two Mexican mountain lion cubs. Still has his other lion, and is it big? Schwamil, back from his journey, looking good, and his mustache and mustache don't mix them. F.A. Stone was in office, pointed out that his name spells Fast One, which is F.A. Stone. Get it? There's something in a name, especially for a fast-moving male pilot. Doyle Harper in charge of passenger traffic. New passenger traffic man taken on, named A.P. Wilson, formerly with Imperial Airways of London and Curtis Wright here. R.E. Lee sent to North Beach from Atlanta as a co-pilot on passengers. Same for Hendrickson and Armstrong. Hendrickson from Camden. Armstrong from Richmond. Miss Young going to Atlanta on her vacation. All the boys getting hair combed and suits pressed. Purry, potpourri, <laughs> for sure, a collection. That, uh, a little North Beach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Don, what you got? Uh, Mike. Let's see here. Mike. Oh, Mike. Yeah. Yeah, here You're we go. Up, Last but not least, we found notes on some of our pilots flying 90 years ago. Mr. Producer, what do you got on that end? Yeah, I think you'll <laughs> like this one. This is a good one. This is our last one. And the last transport topics we'll read. Here's some bird's eye views of some of our men. Walter J. Schaefer. Schaefer declared there must be such a thing as an alarm clock for fish. Finny variety, that is. For he and a companion went fishing at 4 a.m. one morning and didn't even get a nibble until exactly 8 o'clock. John R. Armstrong. Johnny, or Army as he's called, whichever you might call him, appeared at Newark one evening to take the mail south, and it was apparent he had been out in the open. He was all sunburned. Army began telling about fishing. Oh, he fished for hours. And yes, he caught a couple. Where was he fishing? On the golf links, for golf balls. He had putted into the lake. A.P. Kerr. Kerr was walking toward his plane down in Jacksonville one day when a woman, an airport visitor, eyed him and the parachute he had strapped on. She turned to a companion and was overheard to say, Look, there goes a male pilot with the mail tied around him. Vern E. Treat. 
When Treat stepped over the side in April after battling with fog for hours and descended 11,000 feet under the Switlick Company's new Floyd Smith chute, he fell heir to one of the prettiest Gruen watches you ever saw. The Switlick people presented it to him engraved on the back with a caterpillar. His name and April 25th, 1930, the date of his jump. He also was one of those, has one of those pretty little gold caterpillars to wear in his lapel now. He deserved it because that was some of the prettiest flying possible. And in mentioning this, let us not forget that Dick Merrill won laurels that night that match up with the best. He cruised over a glowing spot in the fog for four hours and 40 minutes until a rift appeared and he darted down to a safe landing just before it closed in again. George W. Bransom. Yes, it's Bransom. George is well established with us now and putting in plenty of hours. We haven't welcomed him into the clique until now, but here it is. Welcome to Eastern Air Transport, George. And we want to spell his name Branson, B-R-A-N-S-O-N, anymore. We won't spell it that way anymore, George. C.H. Dolan spent nearly two weeks up in the main office and demands a strip map showing how to get from Newark Airport to the office. Maybe we can combine his and Raffus's. H.W. Raffus. Raffus dropped in on the main office this month and had the customary trouble getting from the railroad station in Manhattan to Brooklyn. He pleads for a strip map showing how it's done. Thy will be done, Ray. We'll turn one out before long. Well, that's all we got as far as uh, notes from the news wing. News wing. Well, you know, George uh, George Bransom, I remember uh, seeing him in some of the old uh, uh, th- uh, publications, not publications, but they used to have the uh, cards. You remember we discussed those one time, Neil? Uh, oh, yeah. He had the oh, yeah. picture of the yeah. pilots and all that on there. And I, uh, I looked because I don't think he was on the seniority list uh, that they had one time because he, he, had jo- he was in the military and he was killed in World War II. So that's why he didn't continue on with uh, in the yeah. in the later seniority list. I don't think. I don't know if you knew that or not. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Yeah, I'm getting myself a background noise here. I guess it's. Uh, somebody's on a speaker or either. Not me. Not me. I'm on echo. You on Echo too. Everybody's on an Echo. Everybody's on Echo. We'll just say bang, 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 bang. <laughs> hit the hit the Echo button. Hello, 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 hello. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you know, Neil, reading these uh, uh, letters, uh, these guys that flew back then, uh, they they had to know that boy, this might be my last flight. I mean, the stuff, the stuff that they went through, uh, having to bail out or having to find a place to land or whatever, it, 
these are really heroes when you think about it. Yeah, you're right. I found the guilty microphone, and it's yours, Mike. I just turn your microphone off, and we get no uh, echo. So I'm going to turn it back on now and see if it comes back on. Hello. Well, he just dropped oh, off. Yeah. He's going he's to call in on another line probably. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you're right, Don. It was uh, heroic and uh, flying in those days. Uh, no, no, uh, but they they did have instrument instrumentation in the uh, in the airplane. They could fly through clouds and so forth. And then, of course, the Kingbirds uh, later got autopilots, and uh, and uh, so conditions started to improve. Uh, and um, the navigational aids and so forth. But, uh, boy, in the early days, yeah. And uh, they lost some money in those airplanes, I'm sure, a lot of money. Yep. I'm going to turn Mike's phone back on. Now, you're all right, Mike. Okay. Hey. (laughs) How about that? Yeah, that that corrected it. Well, that's about the end of our show, but uh, I've been watching the news on the Internet, and I see that the FAA has licensed, uh, uh, certified the airplane, the 737 MAX again, and uh, so I guess it's ready for takeoff. Anything you guys uh, saw about that that you want to? tell us about i had seen seen quite a bit on it but i didn't really read up on it because it's it gets too extensive and uh and it's kind of a lot of repeating stuff and i said well if they got it fixed they got it fixed i don't be, yeah. believe i'm going to be on one anytime soon so <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs> know george, well by the, george they put the george accident machine back say, in the terminals yeah george sent me an email saying he saw a name change they were going to brand it differently than a max did you guys see that? Well, that was, I think that was a joke. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Well, now they now that they got the 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 seven three the 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 Max supposedly back online. I guess they're going to put the insurance machines back in the terminals. <laughs> <laughs> Man by the Moonies. <laughs> Do you, yeah, you remember those? I remember them. Walking down the the corridors, you know the the uh, terminal to the terminal, you see those little booths set up there. I met some interesting people. I'd stop along yeah. the way and talk to them. It was, it was interesting when you saw the pilots buying it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but and then they had the freedom of speech people, the Moonies, you, had, you know, in their gowns. Do you remember that? That was in the airplane. Robert they were Stack. all over my airport. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were everywhere. <laughs> oh, boy. Those were the days, yeah. You know, I saw Delta's doing something. That, uh, maybe all the airlines are doing it, but they're keeping a list of those people they take off the airplane and yeah. not letting them come back, and I think that's a darn good idea. Well, I think United's got over 700, and Delta has, like, 500 Southwest has got several hundred. Yeah. I did read that in the uh, 
and uh, Facebook or something like that. I, I remember flying a Moonlight Special. I wouldn't let a passenger on the airplane just because of his appearance. He, first of all, he was lying on the floor at Houston, and we were on that Moonlight Special, the A300, where we left Atlanta at 10 o'clock and flew at p.m., flew to Houston, changed airplanes, and then went over to San Francisco, L.A., Seattle, or wherever the trip continued. And you remember the passengers only had to pay $49 for a flight. And um, <clears throat> that's when we were flying the consolidated CF Air Freight. Yeah, CF Air Freight. I yep. went, to the, uh, went to the lounge area, waiting area, where the passengers were, and this guy was sprawled out on the floor. Didn't have a shirt on. He had flip-flops on. And <laughs> asked the agent, where's this guy going? He said, with you. <laughs> I said, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Not today. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Flip-flops and, and shorts, and that was it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I remember uh, we had a drunk in Miami uh, going up to New York. It was a noontime flight, and... Uh, uh, he was raising hell on the airplane. We hadn't left the gate yet. So the flight attendant came out, and, and, and she said, you got to get this guy off. He's, he's swearing, cussing, raising hell. So we called Dade County, you know, the cop. Yeah. And the cop came out there. I had never seen this guy before. He was about 6'4", looked like he weighed about 220, Built like an outhouse, you know, one of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he says to the guy, he says, you're going to have to come with me. And the guy says, I'm going to New York. He says, well, there's two things you can do. You can come with me now or I'm going to carry you off. And this guy had <laughs> biceps like watermelons, you know. <laughs> he was huge. So the guy kind of looked him up and down and said, okay, I'll come with you. <laughs> Boy. Yeah, I put an Eastern Executive Vice President uh, off in uh, in Denver. I had a trip from Miami to Denver and Denver to Salt Lake, I think it was. And and uh, the flight attendant at the uh, before we got into the Denver area said she had a problem with one of the guys. He was on a C1 pass and um, must ride, I think it was. And he yeah. had had too many, too many miniatures, and, yeah. and he wouldn't go back to his seat. And and she came up and told me, and and um, I said, well, point him out when we when we land in Denver. And so she did, and um, I, he was standing out uh, in the jetway there, and didn't want to leave the jetway because he was going to stay on the airplane, continue on to Salt Lake. And uh, I started talking with him, and it was obvious he was drunk as a skunk. And so um, he says, well, I'm going to an executive meeting Eastern is having here in Salt Lake. I said, well, you're going to have to catch the next flight. You're not, you're not coming with us. <laughs> and uh, he went out in the, in the lobby there, and I didn't see him again. That was it. I didn't get a write-up or anything. But, you know, just don't tolerate stuff like that, especially from a vice president. 
Well, yeah. you know how alcohol is. It's mind-altering liquid. <laughs> yeah. On the other note here, you got had a note in some of your 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 notes here about the the French jet man got killed in the training. Oh accident. yeah, yeah. I can't. I don't understand why he lasted as long as he did. <laughs> did you guys see him uh, take one of those jet flights and landed in a moving airplane? They had the door yes, open. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. Oh and yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> He flew right into the door in flight. <laughs> yeah, there was yep. two of them. Yeah, two of yeah, them. Yeah, two guys. Two guys. Well, one, dead. Of them, uh, one of them is dead now. Well, I guess uh, he didn't have. He didn't must. I guess he didn't pass by the insurance machine. He, he yeah. missed the door. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was you, Mike, or George Jen that sent me an email of this new type of golf cart. Did you guys see that? No, uh, I don't Did you no. see it. No, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. No. It's it's like the jet man. Yeah, it's it's a little old uh, contraption that you stand up and and it's got a room for your golf clubs and and you just you know it's like a drone. You sit there and fly <laughs> it to your next hole. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. funny looking. <laughs> well, I've, Boy, I've seen it. Yeah. If oh, anybody has who, one of them here, like, guess who the sponsor of it is? And the owner, investor, Bubba Watson. Oh. There you go. Yeah. He's endorsing it. <laughs> Bubba Watson has a uh, candy store in northern Florida somewhere called the Sweet Spot. Ah. Uh, you know, like like on a golf club, the Sweet Spot, you know. Yeah, that's appropriate for candy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we ought to yeah, just try to old, wrap it up. Uh, Go, on, go ahead. Dustin, uh, Dustin Johnson got the green jacket, right? Yes, yeah. he did. Plus a few dollars. Yeah. <laughs> well, Don, let's uh, let's start shall, uh, winding we, up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, as uh, as I mentioned before, once again, uh, for our listeners, yeah, here is how you can read any of the nearly fifty years of this amazing magazine called Reaper Website. Just go to that. It's www.reaperonline.com and click on Repartee at the menu bar. Captain Jerry Frost, treasurer of Reaper, has scanned every issue of this newsletter and magazine over the history of the organization. Just go through the years and turn the pages to this one-of-a-kind Repartee newsletter, better known as Repartee. The Reaper website is working fine now, so feel free to go and check it out. Uh, Neil, what have you got for coming up for us? Well, we've got Thanksgiving coming up next, and we uh, have a program about the history of Washington National Airport. That's what I'll always call it, because that's when I arrived with Eastern Airlines at my first domicile assignment, it was Washington National. And then they added Reagan International, of course, now. But uh, we're going to talk about the history of that airport. Interesting, interesting uh, history. And uh, we won't have a broadcast of the Reaper Radio Hour next week because of Thanksgiving. Yeah. hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving coming up. Don? There'll be no turkeys flying. Okay, well, 
Thank you, thank you, Neil. Well, folks, we'll see you again in two weeks. Two weeks from now, there'll be uh, no Reaper Radio Hour next week, Thursday, November 26th, and that's when we all celebrate Thanksgiving Day. I hope everybody will be safe and enjoy the day. And by the way, if you haven't visited our website, it's www.ealradioshow.com. And that's where you'll find many more great Eastern stories and memories. So it's time to say so long. So on behalf of all of our hosts and our producer, Captain Neil Holland, this is Don Gagnon saying so long, Eastern family. We love you, Eastern. We love you, Eastern. So long. Good, good love show, Neil. It was fun. Good Thanks, show. Harry, Mike. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Headed somewhere in flat They're taking you away And leaving me lonely Silver wings Slowly fading out of sight Don't Don't take that airplane ride But you locked me out of your mind And left me standing here behind Silver wings Shining in the sun Somewhere in flight They're taking you away Leaving me lonely Silver wings Slowly fading out of sight